This show was played live on Friday night. Now we are going to play the repeat of Friday Night Live. Please do not call or text to participate in the show. Any announcement made in the show may now not be applicable. Assalamu alaikum, welcome to Inspire 105.1 FM. We're here with the Friday Night Live show, and the topic today will be Hajj, uh, but obviously, we're looking at specific aspects of Hajj. We want all the viewers and oh, viewers, listeners, all the listeners to call in on 01582481822 and you can text or WhatsApp on 0779481822. We're going to need your stories, we're going to need your input, we're going to need your experiences because we're going to, the first part of what we're going to be talking about is challenges and overcoming challenges in going to Hajj. There's going to be different things we'll discuss in that. We can look at financial as- aspects, practic- uh, practically and physically, the challenges, um, legal issues, uh, mental uh, problem, m- mental illnesses that can possibly affect someone's journey to Hajj. So that will be the first part of the show. We're going to move on after that, and we're going to look at the day of Arafah and um, how making du'a on the day of Arafah affected you. Um, and basically, we'll go in more detail with that. And lastly, we're going to look at Eid and... Uh, the brother Abdul Ghafur nicely put it, enjoying Eid without the speed. And so we're going to look at the issues we normally face every every year on Eid. And we looked at this uh, three months ago, actually, on Eid al-Fitr. And uh, we're going to discuss how we can better celebrate Eid, Eid if that's possible. Uh, so without further ado, we'll welcome the guests. Brother Abdul Ghafur, Salaamu Alaikum. Wa Alaikum Assalam. And Brother Hassan, Salaamu Alaikum. Wa Alaikum Assalam. They are not guests, they are as much... Uh, hosts as guests as much guests as I am so we'll start off with the first uh, topic and the first topic is overcoming challenges that people face when they are going to Hajj so you know, it's funny because I had this discussion with someone um, a week ago and someone said to me so when are you going to go Hajj and just in the back of my head you know I automatically presume I want to go Hajj in like 5 years time or, or 10 years time it's just naturally it was just there and so I actually went home and started thinking about it I was like, why am I delaying this or why would I want to delay a fard, you know, if Allah has given us the money to do it, why would I want to delay um, Hajj? And so I started thinking of challenges, you know, I'm facing or, or challenges that I know local people will face. And so what I've done is we've got, I've gone through and made like five different categories and we will talk about each challenge. So Hassan, when someone asks you, brother, when you get in Hajj, you know, what's the first things that come into your head? I think the first and the biggest challenge in my head is financial worries in terms of being able to afford to go hajj and when this whole idea of hajj prices increasing every year is it really something that i want to delay so there's a you know a risk and a benefit kind of whether i want to go now can i afford it is it worth even going now or do i wait maybe five six years in uh, you know in the future and it being hugely expensive then and it's interesting what does that mean is it worth me going now because i've had a similar thought but i want to hear it from you what does that mean financially <laughs> okay right being in financial hardship from having taken the risk to go hajj Oh, I see. Okay. 
So because it are, wouldn't just affect myself, it would affect your family and your friends and people who you know depend on you financially, whoever, however that may be. Hmm. See, one of the things I found with um, ever thinking about going Hajj is I never think about going Hajj alone. That just never seems to cross my mind. It's always taking the family or going with other people. Uh, and so maybe that's one of the reasons why I become like, oh, I can't go right now. I have to wait three, four years, you know, save up and then plan on this and plan on that. Because I think about other people I have to take with me. What's your take on this, Brother Dolfer? Yeah, you made me you made me smile, mashallah, because <laughs> it, it reminded me of, of my own personal experience as well. Um so I'm only a little bit older than you, bro. So yeah. I'm, I'm not that much older. But uh, there's this there's this funny story I have about getting to Hajj because um, when when I finished university, Alhamdulillah, I managed. There were a couple of months. So back then, uh, you can probably work this out from when I tell you when Hajj was. Yeah. So Hajj was roughly about um, March time from from memory. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and uh, I finished university sort of July the prior year. Saved. I managed to get a job. Alhamdulillah, I got a job and uh, managed to save up and. Mashallah, I didn't really have much debt from university, so the good um, times. Yeah. The good times, the good <laughs> times. Mashallah, we used to get maintenance grants. <laughs> good old times, eh? So, um, so what happened was uh, I saved up. My both my, my mother and father um, had not been to Hajj either. Mm. So, uh, in my mind, the first thing I wanted to do, actually, no one in my family, even my uncles and others, many of them hadn't been to Hajj. So, first thing I wanted to, do, as soon as I saved up, was I said to my parents, "That's it, let's go, we're going." So, now, with your yeah? first savings, you actually invested. That, that, that was all I was focused on because oh. I looked at it as a as a fard. Yeah, mm. that, that is something that, and sometimes we forget this, but there's a narration of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam where he said that if a person has the ability to do Hajj. But doesn't do it physically they're able financially they're able they don't do it and they pass away in that state it's no different if they die a jew or a christian wow and sometimes we forget that we just talk about five pillars oh. like they're out there and you know mm. one day i'll do hajj one day may never come and in in, in my particular um case uh I, I, I was I was aware of that, so I thought, you know what, I need to save up. I want to go out with my parents. Forget Umrah, everything. I was like, we just got to do Hajj, yeah. yeah. And both my parents um, hadn't been, so I saved up enough that we could go. And back then, it wasn't as hard as it is now to mm. save up enough to be able to go. I was living at home, so there yeah. weren't that many costs. Yeah. So I said to my parents, that's it. Let's go. Go yeah. in now. We've got a couple enough months, enough months, enough time to so book. So how old were you at the time, if you don't mind me asking? I just finished uni, so okay. twenty one, twenty two, right. yeah. Wow. So um. Uh, so my parents actually said to me, no, no, Putar, not this year. Mm. You can get married this year. No. So we ain't go this year. So I was like, okay, no problems. That whole year passed and in fact, nothing really developed in terms of getting married. Mm. Yeah. So I thought, subhanAllah, whole year has gone by <laughs> and missed yeah. opportunity. So anyway, next year comes around and I said to my parents, we didn't go last year. and We could have gone. Mm. Nothing happened this year. And my parents said, no, 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 definitely don't worry. Inshallah, we've got the means, we've got the ability. Alhamdulillah, it's going to happen this year. Yeah. So fair enough. So I said, okay, fine. So so um, I, I actually got married um, in Pakistan. My, my wife was from here, but um, mm. we ended up getting married in Pakistan. So that was year two now. Yeah. yeah. That um, yeah. the second year in which I didn't go to Hajj because that year I did actually get married. That particular year, my parents said, you know, we're gonna we're gonna save up for that and try to make that happen. Third year came by now. Now I'm married, and and I said to my parents, look, third year now I'm getting worried. You know, three years have passed, we haven't been. Mm. Uh, and my parents, uh, subhanAllah, qadrullah, although my parents actually wanted to go that year, my son was born. Oh. Actually in the t- days of Hajj, in that same sort of time. 
Um, so three years mm. passed by now. Yeah. So this is once you'd planned to go three years ago. Yeah. Allah's made things happen. Every year, every okay. year, it got, for one reason or another. The yeah. fourth year came along. Subhanallah, check this out. It's not just even that far. Fourth year came along, and I just um, purchased it, or I, I'd uh, gone through a, an Islamic finance plan to get a house, mm. the one that I'm in at the moment. Yeah. And uh, so that year, I didn't even have the finances to go. Right. So in all the other prior years, I'd, I could have saved up, could have taken my parents, ha- was healthy enough, but for one reason or another, I didn't. Mm. And the fourth year came, and when I realized, you know, subhanAllah, four years have passed this year, it, despite the fact um, I could have gone in previous years, this year I financially can't even go now. Mm. And I realized, and subhanAllah, this is, this is, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I haven't really made a commitment to Allah that's serious. You know, if I was serious about anything, if I wanted to go out and get yeah. a job, if I wanted to go out and get a car, I'd make all the necessary preparations, put the money down, book the time off, do everything I needed yeah. to. But that niyyah wasn't really, it wasn't a firm niyyah. It was just, yeah, let's do it. If it happens, fine. If it doesn't, it's not a problem. Mm. Um, and at that point, after four years, I just thought, subhanAllah, you know, this is a weakness in myself that, that it's been delayed all these years mm. um, for us not to have had the opportunity to go. And it's a blessing, you know, subhanAllah, every year, you know, I really feel... Um, you know, envious of those people that get an opportunity to go because subhanAllah when you speak to them, you know, it's, a, it's such a beautiful opportunity. The Prophet sallallahu said, we know these are the best of days, but in terms of the best of actions, when the Prophet sallallahu was asked what's the best action to do, he said it's for a person to go out in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and give his life. Yeah? Hmm. And that's a massive thing, that's your whole life, everything's that's gone everything. then. Yeah? Yeah. So they said, what about after that? And the Prophet sallallahu hajj mabrur, a hajj that is accepted, that you return like the day that you were born. Subhanallah. Wow. So what more wow. to ask for? What greater reason would we have yeah. to put off ever going? So see, one point you came to when you were talking about you had the intention to go and then you got delayed by four years. And the thought that crossed my head is if my intention is to go in five years, who knows by the time that five years comes and God knows what's going to be happening at the time. And how Allah is planning Allah things. definitely knows that. There's no doubt. I mean, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Only God knows. Yeah. <laughs> and so the five years I'm waiting already. And then by the time the fifth year actually comes, then there could be another four years delay. And who knows what has changed in that absolutely, time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, subhanAllah, what happens over four years, five years? You know, the costs have doubled, as you mentioned. Mm. Hassan, the costs have doubled. It's become more difficult. It's in such heat now. Um, the situation politically may have mm. changed. You know, mm. We don't know. And this is why, I, in my opinion, I don't think anyone who has the ability to should delay even a year. There's no reason. Mm. There's no reason. Save up, inshallah. You know, fulfill that opportunity. You come back like a newborn baby. You know, subhanAllah, we look oftentimes at these stories of Sahaba that enter into Islam and we envy them because, alhamdulillah, you know, they're forgiven. All the deeds in the past, it's like they are a newborn baby. Well, mm. we've got an opportunity to do that as well, even if we're born Muslim, just by going Hajj. So, so do you think there might be an issue with our priorities right now? The fact that what is more important to us is that we get a job, we do a bit of saving, get a nicer car, and then we think about, okay, now we need to start saving for Hajj. Instead of getting a job and think, okay, I need to start saving for Hajj. Yeah, definitely. I, th- I think uh, you and I both know, and I'm sure everybody listening as well, know of people that, subhanAllah, from last Hajj to this Hajj aren't even around today. Not even elder. Mm. You know, we've had a number of youngsters in our community on our own streets, subhanAllah, that even at a, a, a young age um, haven't seen it to the next year. Um, my father, rahimahullah, passed away. He never got to do hajj. Mm. Um, I was fortunate enough, alhamdulillah, to be able to take my mother out. Um, but who's to guarantee that anyone of us at any age will have the ability to be able to go? So the question is, yeah, fine, you can. Uh, I'm not saying don't go out and get a job and don't get married and, and don't get mm. a car. Um, 
But when you stood before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he says you had enough to get a house yeah. and pay for uh, 30, 40 grand a wedding okay. um, and spend what, 7, 10 K on a car, mm. really that's enough to be able to go and do Hajj yeah. for each of us individually. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, so the financial challenges we know, of course, we're not saying no matter where you are in life, just go and do Hajj. That's not what, obviously. And there's Allah has made um, exemptions for people that are not financially capable. Do we want to talk about that slightly? What are the rulings on people who are not financially capable? And what does that actually mean, being financially capable? Because that sounds quite um, subjective. So financial capability is basically can you afford it? And at the end of the day, um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't place us in any difficulty. We know that there is uh, Allah doesn't place upon us a burden that we can't bear, nor a responsibility that we can't fulfill. So, so the beauty is that we only become... Uh, responsible in this particular act this is unlike salah where you're responsible all the time but in this particular act you're only responsible when you are able to go and that ab- ability starts actually with health i'd say it's probably even prior to to finances alhamdulillah we're we are so affluent you know from my experiences going out to uh mecca subhanallah and medina you will see experiences out there and you'll just think subhanallah you know people are still going on a few hundred pounds of going to hajj yeah. Uh-huh. I'm not saying from the UK uh, yeah. I'm saying people are traveling And you see this They've got no hotel They're sleeping on the streets Subhanallah wow. They are t- they, For weeks and weeks They'll be preparing You'll find people out there That you'll meet That have been saving up For 10-15 years To get a few hundred pounds To travel from Pakistan Or from Malaysia Or from other places like that They're on absolute budget We worry about How far is the hotel to walk yeah, Can you see the haram Subhanallah They'll be 15-20 minutes away um, If they have a hotel Many of them will stay in the haram, stay in the masjid itself. So for us, what's financial capability? Mm. Mm. When we can afford a 4K, 5K package to go out. Yeah. And even then, it's not good enough because you know, I mean, we haven't got the hotels where we like them. Yeah, We were speaking about this yesterday, weren't we? In terms of like, imagine just friends go. Could you go without, you know, the expensive hotels and stuff? Could you go with just going there? They're, they're necess- basically they're camping necessary, kind yeah. of thing, yeah. Is that even possible? Can you do that as... I'm not sure. I can understand that. if you have a family and they're old, but like if you went as friends, is that something that the Saudi government allows? <laughs> no. <laughs> Who is it? It was you, wasn't it, Umar? Do you, uh, you want to share that experience of when you uh, wanted to go to Umrah? <laughs> 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 you told That's me yesterday. It's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> so, so. Well, I went to obviously join a ship in, uh, in Saudi Arabia, in Jeddah. And so I landed in the airport and I had like 12 hours. And I was like, listen, Jeddah is like... The Kaaba is like 30 miles away from me. It's not far. It's just there. Um, it's like London and Luton. And so I, I said to them, look, you know, I'm British. Of course, I'm joining a ship. You've got all the paperwork and everything. You've got my passport. Is it possible to do this? Is it possible for me to do Umrah? And they basically gave me, I mean, they just brought the bureaucracy out on me. <laughs> you have to do this and you have to do this form. And you have to do this and you just can't do it. So I think they're quite strict in terms of what has to be done. They're, they're quite proper. And their ways and procedures so i'm not sure if they'll allow that but they definitely won't allow it. and and the way we need to look at it is um it's for the the well-being of everybody else that's there um, yeah. if you were not to have had your vaccinations if you were not to have had the the right um visa permits then think about I mean, you let one person yeah. 10 people 100 people thousand people in without those checks and balances then potentially you're introducing disease into millions of people you're introducing um 
overcrowding and we know over the previous years how that's been an issue um, at particular flashpoints during the Hajj so they're not doing it because they want to be bureaucratic they're doing Mm. it for the well-being of every Hajji subhanAllah the amazing thing that nobody can deny from Anywhere in the world is the hospitality that the hujjaj get. You know, you'll get food from the moment you land till the moment you leave. That's you'll get, subhanAllah, everybody will take care of it. It's really interesting you mentioned that because one of the points and one of the um, challenges that people are facing, I spoke to a couple of people and they said, look, we've heard, they've never been to Saudi Arabia, but they've heard a reputation of the people that are there, especially the guards and stuff, that they're very rude, very scornful. Even some Saudi people that they've met, they've had bad experiences with. And I'm talking a lot about the people that have come straight from Pakistan. So not necessarily the people that have gone from Britain. But uh, so people are quite um, hesitant uh, when they think about the treatment. But you're saying it's the opposite. The one thing that's in the blood of every Saudi is uh, ikram of the hujjaj. Mm. Um, it is respect for the pilgrims, and and I I I'm sure that subhanallah. When we, if we manage to hear from some of the hujjaj that are out there today, mm. but anybody that's been out there will tell you of. How uh, you're provided with food, you're provided with water. You literally, you get packs. Every bus um, that's out there will get packs. The amount of uh, concessions they'll make to try to accommodate. I, I took my mother, and perhaps we'll talk later on. Mm. Um, my mother was in a wheelchair when I took her. Mm. Um, the amount of concessions, the priority that they'll give to people that they see who are vulnerable. Oftentimes, I think I think the stories that we had, these, these scare stories, mm. um, they tend to be, when tell you the truth, we do things that we wouldn't do in this country. Yeah. yeah. Where in this country, if you went to the post office, you'd have to queue up. Yeah. For some reason, when you come to the Kaaba, there's no <laughs> people are on top of each other and their arms and elbows and Subhanallah, it is inappropriate. Mm. It's not safe yeah, yeah. for young and old and women and yeah. others to be in that place. Yeah. If we saw that, we'd probably jump in and, and do a, a WWF. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, what well, about those people that it's their job? Yeah. And you don't find them beating people up. And if anything, they'll try to say, look, you know, be considerate of other people. Mm. Don't you appreciate that yeah. this is having an impact? Right. Um, so, these are more scare stories than actual. These are more precautionary measures of a father to a child yeah. saying, Putter, you don't know. If you do that, you're going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt somebody mm. else. Mm. Um, and I'm not doing it because I love the Saudis or anything, but yeah. I, I guarantee you any person you speak to that comes back from Hajj, you know, they'll have an appreciation for the logistics, um, everything that is done to try and facilitate Hajj. And this has been before the time of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. What's amazing mm. is that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, when Ibrahim Alayhi Salam and Ismail were um, tasked with rebuilding the Kaaba. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to Ibrahim alayhi salam, This is still in the Quran. We still find the words Allah said specifically to Ibrahim alayhi salam are retained in the Quran. Allah says, Now do adhan to everybody in the world. And remember where he's at. Hmm. He's at a place where people haven't even settled. There's not even a city yet mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. developed there yeah. it's just literally this fledgling community a few tribal people that have settled down around his family his immediate family so his response yeah allah you know how's anyone gonna hear me yeah. i haven't got a mic i haven't got a radio station there's no snapchat AI. <laughs> nobody's gonna get my message on whatsapp yeah. how is anyone gonna hear me when i'm in a desert making adhan and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the beauty about Hajj is that just like Ibrahim salam, just got told, do it, and Allah will take care of that. Hmm. In the same way, if you make the intention to do Hajj, Allah will take care of you. There's no doubt about it. Since that point in time, since he's made Hajj, and even in the eye of Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, um, 
يَأْتُوكَ رِجَالًا وَعَلَىٰ كُلِّ ضَامِرٍ يَأْتِينَ مِنْ كُلِّ فَجِّنْ عَمِيكُ Which actually means that they're going to come to you over valleys and over mountains. They're going to come walking and they're going to come on camels. They're going to come with great difficulty. You just wait. Where you see barren land at the moment, Wow. Everybody's going to flock here And subhanAllah how true that is today wow. We see it today That all of the du'a of Ibrahim salam, And there's many other du'a that he made That retain the Quran mm. They come to fruition So for us is there even a question That if we were to make intention That yeah. it would be difficult Allah has invited you as a guest mm. If I was to invite you as a guest I'd make sure that you get taken care of yeah. you, When you arrive you know, Alhamdulillah you're going to be looked after mm. Then who is in a better position Who should even worry that I'll have an issue and, and every subhan there's so many stories and I'm sure you all know of people that are elderly they'll go and Allah makes it easy for them they're sick yeah. and they'll go and subhanAllah Allah makes it easy for them there's not a person that will come back hmm. with a you know I mean ill experience of the hajj itself hmm. um, and okay. then what about those people that look after them mm-hmm. absolutely so now the other challenge that you know speaking to other people and, and myself actually that's one of the things that I was quite nervous about is all the paperwork all the visa and um, I, I don't even know because th- again this is the thing because before you actually do things it's it's a <laughs> it's a scare story because you just think God I don't know what I have to do to actually be um, eligible to go Hajj and so is that a long arduous process you've been to Hajj um, that's one of the concerns I know people have is I don't know what I need to do it takes me a long time and I don't think I have all the documents. So, so long as you got a passport, yeah, yeah, th- even that, and Alhamdulillah, there's people that are here on on um, on other short-term stay as well. Alhamdulillah, that, that's not a problem at all. The beauty of it is, especially in this country, we don't even have to worry about it because mm. everybody's got some level of documentation. Yeah. If you've got enough that you can live, gain benefits. It's, yeah. it's interesting, isn't it? When it comes to benefits, no one has a problem yeah. filling out the paperwork. Yeah. yeah but when it comes to Hajj, Subhanallah, it must yeah. be really difficult. Yeah. You don't even there's not even a process you have to go through other than picking the phone up to any agent you want. Yeah. That you trust, that you're happy with, picking up the phone to them. So long as they've got spaces, they will literally handhold you the rest of the way. Oh. And and the beauty of this is, uh, I remember a beautiful example that was given some years ago of, of a brother who said that when you take a step towards Allah subhanahu mm. wa ta'ala, this isn't just liking, like our steps. Yeah. We take one, Allah takes one towards it. He said, no, 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 it's not like that one. He said, this is like you stepping on an escalator. You have to overcome the fear of stepping on the escalator. We've seen that. Someone comes from back home and they're like, no, 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 it's going to eat me. That machine is going to eat me. Yeah? So long as you get over that fear of taking the first step, what happens? Do you have yeah. to do anything the rest of the way? No. No. Mm. Allah will take care of the rest of it. And the beauty is that with an agency, it's exactly the same. And, and I'll test anyone. Just, just try this. Pick up the phone to an agency. So long as they have a space... Watch how they will do everything for you. All they'll say is send me. A, these days, you know, subhanAllah, I saw people going to Pakistan after a, a funeral quite recently. Mm. They were WhatsApping photos of their passport. You don't even have to go to the office anymore. You can just <laughs> take a photo and send that on WhatsApp. Mm. So you're not even getting into email now. You're yeah. just literally posting a photo. Of, and that's sufficient for them to reserve you a spot on the, on, on the plane. Yeah, to, oh. to put your name against the seat. Then, of course, you have to submit your documentation. But they, there's no difficult form for you to fill out in this whole process. So it's all handled by... Um, Everything is handled. And they'll advise you, you know, mashallah, I was speaking to, I was trying to find gifts for the people that are going to Hajj and it's so hard. Mm. Because these days, almost every package that's out there gives you everything. They'll give mm. you like your soaps and your bags and they'll yeah. give you these books and they'll have seminars. It's standard practice now in the UK, definitely, mm. that uh, a Hajj group will handhold you all of the way through. Right. 
So that's that. Talk about ease of convenience. Talk about easy, yeah. Yeah. Right, okay. Uh, so that can't be um, a factor that, you know, deters us from going to Hajj. The, we've got we've got a couple of minutes left. Um, I don't want to get into too much detail because the next two are going to be quite important. Um, physical challenges. So going to Hajj with people that maybe have a physical difficulty or not even just... Uh, or maybe they're just struggling with their physical health. It doesn't have to be a disability. It could be obesity. And, you know, and I want to discuss that later on. And the other one was mental illnesses. We've done two shows in the last three weeks on mental illnesses. And we've seen how that affects people's normal life. You know, that's just them with their friends, with their family, in school, at, at work. So this environment is going to be a very different environment. So we want to talk about how that can affect them in their mental illness. Uh, Hassan, do you want to come in with any comments right now before we go into our break? No, no, it's all good. Very beneficial so far. You've, I think you've highlighted most of the common struggles that people actually think about when they go into Hajj and addressed it in a very positive way, so it's pretty good, mashallah. You know, the interesting thing is, so you're talking about physical. Sometimes I think we forget how physically it is, it is taxing, especially mm. now. Mm. We found over the last few weeks it's been hot here, we, we couldn't get to sleep. That, yeah. that was difficult for us. Mm. Imagine when it's 48 degrees. What do we see? 30? 30. Thirty-three, yeah. I think, was the maximum we saw yeah, during 30. the day, not at night. During the day, forty-eight mm. degrees. I remember in late August, um, similar sort of time to now. Um, but now you've got you know additional uh, pressures around. Obviously, the heat and the dehydration and, and the travel on top of that. Even yeah. for somebody who's well-bodied, yeah. physically able, um, it will be a taxing journey. You, yeah. you are traveling for a long period, and people are going in shorter, shorter times now. And yeah. hotels are more and more scarce to get in mm. close to the haram. So it, it will be taxing. And I know people, um, even physically able, that um, struggled with some of the walking between um, between uh, I, d- and other places. I do wonder what the health system might be like for those who can't actually go through health problems while they're on Hajj and stuff. And maybe that's something that we can discuss after the break. Yeah. But All right. So for, for the first half of uh, this segment, we've discussed um, financial issues and we've discussed that Really, if you can save enough to buy a house and buy a car, then you can probably save enough to go to Hajj. And we also looked at issues of treatment. And shall we be back for the second part of the show? Do join us, 105.1 FM. Assalamu alaikum, welcome to Inspire FM 105.1. Uh, we are joined in the studio by another beautiful brother. Assalamu alaikum, brother. Wa alaikum, salam, rahmatullah. Alhamdulillah. All right, uh, just to let the listeners out there know that we want your input as well. So the number to call in, actually text in for now, text in because we're going to have a guest speaker soon, inshallah, on the lines. So text in or message or WhatsApp on 0779-481822. That's 0779-481822. Now we're going to move on to the physical side of Hajj. And you've, well, I've grown up hearing Hajj is a physical task. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've, I've also grown up thinking, well, it's all right. If you can do 100 press-ups, you should be all right. How hard can it possibly be? But um, this is where we have the brothers that have been to Hajj, and both of the brothers have taken um, their families with them. So 
Brothers, please take it away. What kind of challenges did you find when it comes to Hajj? And then I'll ask more specific questions. Okay, inshallah. Uh, challenges as in physical challenges. Physical challenges. So, um, what you find is as the time of Hajj is approaching, when you're going to start the rituals, when you're going to go from Mecca to Medina, sorry, Mecca to Mina, mm. and uh, through the Jamarats and, and all the rest of it, that um, the biggest challenge I felt was that physically, because there's so many people and because there's so much congestion mm. that the only way you can reasonably get somewhere is on foot. Mm. You can't really, if you try it in the car, then be prepared to be sitting in a car for 12 hours. Wow. If you try it by bus, think of something similar. Yeah. So really, you know, to be reasonably physically fit uh, is important. When we were preparing, I went with my mother more than 10 years ago now. But when we were preparing for this, when we'd made our intention and we started doing our research and going to classes and learning a little bit, one of the first things, advices we were given is start walking. Mm. Start doing uh, regular walking, build it up, build your stamina up, be able to walk. Um, because this is the thing that you really need. And I think physically, this was probably the, the biggest thing. Now, I remember two incidents. Um, one in particular, we were coming back from the Jamarat to Mina. So this is the process where you you go to the Jamarat where you're stoning and then returning back. And returning back to our area, our particular uh, location where our group was, we somehow got turned around and we took a different turn. Right. And the different turn took us to a completely different end of the tent city. Um, and we were lost. I mean, com wow. completely lost. So you have a wristband when you appear, right? They, this is how you kind of roughly know whereabouts you're supposed to be. And everyone else, well, I think we were in the African quarter. Yeah. So literally the African quarter is like walking through Africa. Yeah. I mean, like street food and uh, all of this. It's okay. all tailored towards that, yeah. that culture and those people. Yeah. And we, we were looking for the, where the British were. <laughs> yeah. And then we've, we went from the African quarter through to the, uh, the Asian quarter where the Pakistanis and Indians were, were a bit more familiar, yeah. but they were still a, a different group. Yeah. It took us, we were walking for maybe uh, maybe two hours. This is through the this is through the camp. This is through the camp, right? Wow. Because we got completely turned around. And it took us a little bit two hours before we got our bearings. And then when we found out where we were going, this was the worst part. When you're lost. Yeah. You know, if you don't know where you are, a map doesn't help, right? No, exactly. So um so we walked that was a long night. I think my mother was with me as well. And we were reasonably chatty when we started off and then at the end we weren't speaking. <laughs> we were just we were just we were just walking. We just kept going and subhanallah had a very good night's sleep when we finally got home. Yeah. Um and then when I looked at the other side of the tunnel entrance mm. that the one that we should have come from and I just thought, you know what? This was maybe just 200 meters to walk through this tunnel. Wow. Right? And instead now we must have done something like we've done a good 4 or 5 miles of walking wow. solid two hours um in, in that in that temperature well you know what it was the it, it got into the evening so the temperature wasn't so bad okay but it was just you know it was it was quite a long trek mm. um and another time you know when we were we were finally decamping from um from mina and we were heading to mecca for the farewell um Tawaf and all the rest. Yeah. The last the uh, last rites if you like uh, the hajj to complete it mm. and um uh, I am. I was walk. I walked from Mina to Mecca, 
And I think that, I don't know how long that is. Someone said it's maybe 10, 15 kilometers. It might be a little bit more than that. I don't really remember. Yeah. But that was a couple of hours. But I, I put my mother on the bus. Mm. And then I took most of our stuff. And I said, you go on the bus. I'll walk it. And then I'll meet you. Because it was just, it was busy. So how does it work then? If, if your mother went on the bus and you had you were walking, yeah. how did you communicate? Did you have- no, so what, what the arrangements were, because there were some elderly people in our group who really couldn't travel, mm. who couldn't walk very well. And so they were with their helpers, and then they arranged the group had arranged a bus for them. Right. And everyone else was told, "Look, you can take the bus or you can walk." Mm. So I just said to mum, "You know, I'll, I'm quite happy to walk, and it'll be easier. And also, it means space on the bus for the others as well." Yeah. And you know, I arrived in Mecca before her, and I was I was marching a good it was a good couple of hours of of a hiking. Right? Yeah. Um, you get the odd motorbike zooming by trying to give you a lift. You say, "No, nah, leave me alone. You know, I'm, I'm going." <laughs> Did you have anything with you in terms of luggage or stuff? Yeah, so I had, um, so one of the things you have to learn about me is, you know, I'm a scout, right? Mm. And um, so you know what they say about scouts, right? We're prepared. So I had a, I had a backpack and um, I had a backpack and some other bits. I had my belongings strapped to uh, some wheels and we were kind of marching along like that, basically. Um, so, yeah, so I did have some stuff. I mean, some people were dragging their luggage with them. Wow. Others were just kind of walking. Um, tracking their luggage with them? Yeah, yeah, some people were. I mean, it's, that road is, is closed. There's no vehicles on it. It's pedestrianised. Mm-hmm. It's just for the volume of people who are, who are moving about. Yeah. Were there any particular struggles that you thought were really hard? Because I, I remember you talking about health and appreciating mm, yeah. it. Uh, one, my auntie just come to my mind now. My auntie also went to Hajj. And she, her health is not too good. She's diabetic and yeah, she doesn't yeah. really walk too, too far either. Yeah. And she going through all of that, like you said, with the whole health thing, if you're, right. not, if you're not aware of it and you're in the hustle and bustle and you're just walking, it's very easy to get dehydrated. Yeah. It's very easy to forget about that you haven't ate mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. can take a toll on you quite Of course, quite yeah. You have to be careful. I mean, look, I, my reflections really from that time, um, when, you, when you go back a little bit and you think about the purpose of Hajj, ultimately is an act of purification. First of all, the fact that you're there, you've been called. It's an invitation that you've accepted and that you've managed to get there. But once you're there, this act of being purified is not really something that is meant to be an easy thing. So my observation and my reflection really was, you know, some people had really, um, were how to describe, had a strong temper. Mm. Maybe they were impatient, right? That's what I wanted and if you had an impatient person, then things would happen on their heads that would like prick them, provoking them. And they were trying to now be patient. And, if, one, and if you had somebody with health problems, yeah. then there'd be a health thing that would be challenged, right? Wherever somebody had a certain disposition or a certain thing, this was, uh, this was the thing that was really tested. Mm. Um, my auntie as well, just going back to that, and you were talking about temper. One of the things that happened to her while she was on Hajj is that a lot of her stuff got robbed. Oh, it got thieved. Yeah, of course. So she was, it's hard being in that state of purification, you know, respecting the sanctity of the Kaaba and all the conditions with it. Mm-hmm. And then all of your things getting robbed and you trying yeah. to stay in a very calm, you know, temperament and just trying to get on with what you you're have to really, do. You're really tested. And, you know... Um, you really go through it. It's not. It's not an experience that's. If it's a very easy and very simple experience, and Subhanallah, you've you've had a blessing. But I think you know if there's no test along the way, yeah. Then you. I. I mean, for me, 
If it wasn't testing, I would wonder about that. Yeah. I think I found this too easy. It can't be this easy. To the and it very often isn't. Because to the average person, it's not something in their mind that they consider a holiday getaway. To oh, no. This well, is something that you have to mentally prepare yourself. And with the women mm. as well, uh, this whole idea of fitness and being able to walk that far, yeah, yeah. it should be something in their mind that they should really take care no, of beforehand. No, Otherwise, be. they will really see the consequences yeah. of that going to Hajj. I mean, my, in my mother's case, I mean, in that time, she was in her early 60s. And um, she used to go out for a walk just after Asr with, you know, half a dozen aunties. Mm. And they just do like laps around the neighborhood. Right. Really, they just kind of, they just come, they get together, knock on the door. They chit and they chat, and you know, the usual yeah. thing when the aunties are out and about. Yeah. And they would, uh, they were doing this regularly for, a, for a, well, a good six weeks before. I mean, we made our intention quite late. I literally landed on my mom and said, let's just go. And she was like, really? I said, no, subhanAllah, let's just do it. And my heart telling me I've, I've finished one job I was about to start another one I thought I could fit Hajj right in the middle of this I was there for I, my Hajj lasted five weeks wow. yeah I had five weeks off and uh, subhanAllah it was really uh, really good but I think that preparation is uh, is important you know mm. you, you, did you, you find that. you had to check yourself quite often as oh. you were doing Hajj subhanAllah you know what it was um, you 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 do because you know you have to have your wits about you as well. Yeah, there are certain things that you don't expect to see when you go on your Hajj, and then when you see them, it's really you try to reconcile in your own mind. You know where I am, what I'm here to do, and what's going on. And you know there is um, there are some elements that you know that people are trying will come to you and say, "Oh, I've lost all my money and I need help." Mm. And others would tell you in our group we were warned about that to say, "Look, there are people who are trying to." do scams and oh, things like that. this and you think oh, why would somebody come of all places come here yeah. and all the places on earth Good business come and do a scam here in this place right well, Allah's house is around the corner you'd think man this is these are the streets where Rasulullah used to walk yeah. used to you know when he was young when he was older this is where the Sahaba lived why would somebody come behaving right. you, you can't get your head around it yeah. but our group leader warned us he said be careful and because these things can happen, you know, you hear these stories. Yeah, and I suppose for me, one one of the things I would worry about quite often is if my Hajj is accepted. And if you are constantly going through these trials and, and, and things happen to you and it's setting you back a little bit. Uh, for example, if you're out there with your mum and she's getting trampled over or people are pushing her, it can be very hard to control your no, temper in that situation, just imagine. Just it. Look, I've, I've heard of stories when people are doing tawaf and stuff, especially when it comes to touching the black stone. Yeah. I've heard uh, horror stories about people pushing and shoving. Yeah. And no, you know... I, I really also reflected on this a little bit because um, you do hear these tales. Um, so when I was a when I was a younger man, I can't believe I'm going to admit this on the radio, <laughs> but um, I used to like quite loud, strong music. Uh, this is from my school days, and sometimes I'd even go and see a few of these bands, right? And that was quite lively as well. And I remember thinking, being reminded of being in that environment. In this place, um, there's a technique, right, of how you get close to the Kaaba. So you start your tawaf and you gradually work your way in until you can get to the, you know, the end of the building. You put your hand on it and then just let your hand take you. And people are bouncing around you as well. It's very rushed. Um, but you know what? It, how can I describe this? I, I would describe it as if you imagine that you have traveled from the desert and you've had no water mm. and then you're arriving at a place where they're giving out water how would you behave mm. your behavior is not violent 
and it's not intended to be hurtful to anyone else. But at the same time, you are desperate because you haven't had a drink. Your throat is dry. Your eyes are burning. You can see what's in front of you. They're giving out the water. You have to get a drink, mm. right? And for me, I really felt it reminded me of that, of my youth. And then when I really reflected on it, I thought, you know what? This is the thirst for the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm. That's what these people are here to do. They are absolutely dying of thirst for that mercy, and they're trying to get to that mercy. And sometimes they're, they're not thinking about who's on my left, who's on my right. There's a, somebody's mother, somebody's father. He's ill. He's not, they're not, that, those thoughts, for some people, are not, are not the forefront of their mind. Mm. They're, not, they're not thinking the British way. You know, when the British way is 10 but, people are trying to get into a place, they make a line. Mm. All right? Who was first? You were first or come in front? They, they, they don't have that sensibility, right? Yeah. And that's really, for me, it was a clamor. Mm. Um, because my mother got bounced around a lot, and I had my arms around her. And even when we managed to get into the Hatim, when she was wanted to pray inside, and I still had to stand over her and have my arms out, mm. just to stop her from being trampled. Mm. So. But it was like an adventure, really, for yeah. the two of us. Because yeah. my mom's pretty useful. I mean, she was old, you know, 60s, not old, really, but... Um, we kind of held on to each other very tightly as we were going around right. and we were getting knocked about and pushed about. I, I, I did see some people found that very difficult, but you know, um, but you know, there are so many people there. It got to a point where um, you couldn't even put one foot in front of the other because of the number of people that were there. It was really, uh, you don't really imagine that. Mm. So, Brother Dukfu, you've also travelled and you've done Hajj with your mum. Was there other people as well on that journey? Or yeah, just you and your mom? quite a few of us, yeah. So do you want to describe that and uh, tell us about your journey and what the, the physical difficulties, again, that's what we're going to focus on. So, so my mum was in a wheelchair as well when we went. Um, oh, okay. Uh, and Alhamdulillah, I'm, I'm telling you, mashallah, it, it could have been easier, in fact. And and it's interesting, that, uh, Brother Hasman, the, the point you mentioned, because you're absolutely right. We'll be tested based on our weakness. Mm. Um, but that's part of the beauty of Hajj. It mm. absolutely is a purification. There's actually a narration where Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and Aisha radiallahu anha were looking at all of the Hajjaj. Remember the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam did Hajj once in his life. And mm. at the time when he did Hajj, there were 100,000 plus Sahaba there. They were just the Sahaba, mm. let alone those people that hadn't met the Prophet So, absolutely masses of people for their time. Mm. And they're looking upon all of the Hujjaj and Aisha radiallahu anha. She asked the Prophet sallallahu that are they all the same? Are they all going to get the same ajr, the same mm. reward? And the Prophet sallallahu said, no. They're going to be rewarded based on the difficulty that they've overcome mm. in order to perform this Hajj. So for each of us, you know, it's a purification based on where we are. Mm. Um, I went over, I went with a friend actually, a very uh, close friend of mine who also took his mom in a wheelchair. Mm. Um, it was the first time both of us had been out there. Mm. And mashallah, it was absolutely amazing experience. So, so when you went to do Hajj with your mother in a wheelchair, that was the first time you'd gone yeah. to Mecca? That was the first time I'd ever been out there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Talk about chucking yourself in the deep end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, Alhamdulillah. You know, the, like I said, you get uh, special privileges if you've got somebody with a wheelchair. Yeah. You know, you'll get They're first very good the plane. facilities. Yeah. I, I remember on uh, uh, the Jamarat, and these were the years they'd only just extended to the wide mm. Jamarat. So prior to yeah, that, it yeah. used to be the, the, the squarish pillar. Yeah. Now it's a much wider um, column now. Mm. And, and they've got floors now as yeah, well. They, they, they didn't have my year. They built them afterwards. So yeah, yeah, in my year as well. They didn't have them. They, so yeah. just the ground floor. And, mm. and I remember all of the people that were around us. Now there's 200 plus in our group. 
and uh, they all said no don't take mum don't take mum she's in a wheelchair uh, it's not appropriate it's not Scandal. suitable but but mashallah my mum didn't go out there to sit in a wheelchair yeah. and sit in the tent you can't yeah. stop she her she turned right? around and she goes I'm going yeah let's, let's go <laughs> so anyway so alhamdulillah obviously you've got to obey mum so um, <laughs> went out <laughs> went out yeah, to Jamrat and subhanallah you know Allah makes so much easier for you you know we got there and literally there's a lot of people that are, are scattered around there, and it is actually quite harrowing because all you can hear is like a, I wouldn't even say a waterfall, it's almost like thunder because you can just hear people pelting. Oh. So mm. from a distance you can just hear this you know, knocking sound of stones against stone. Mm. And uh, so it is quite daunting. Um, but subhanAllah, you know the, the paths, even we didn't even take the right way around because yeah, there's so many people coming the, the right way. And, and I was in a wheelchair, but uh, mashallah, the Saudi officials, they opened up a path so they moved some stuff aside so we could get in because they saw my mom was in a wheelchair. And then at the Jamara itself, there were a lot of people there. But subhanAllah, people noticed that mum was in a wheelchair. So they all sort of parted. And there was nobody wow. between us and the Jamara. Oh. Both me and mum were able to stone without <laughs> anybody. Yeah, without, <laughs> there were loads of people around, but There's they VIP, made space. Right? Yeah, you got, it, it was yeah. the best treatment, mashallah. Subhanallah. Um, That's so interesting. So initially what was thought to be a challenge actually yeah. became... Alhamdulillah, and, 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 really. and there were times I remember on the day of uh, Hajj when we went to do our Tawaf, the busiest time of all. Um, at when you're doing your Tawaf and it's time for Salah, and you know people, some of them will just stop literally wherever mm. they are. And there were times when the wheelchair was literally lifted off the ground because of people pushing, shoving. But Alhamdulillah, you know that's that's, yeah. that's part of the you're game. You're about to say something, brother? No, no. I just thinking that um, um, you know they do. You know, people are that what they're there for, and you're there as guests as well. And I think the officials do, you know, alhamdulillah, for us, did a very good job. Mm. But it's if you imagine how dangerous and difficult it could be with a in a wheelchair, and mm. so I think that's really, you know, subhanallah, it's commendable. We saw a lot of it. I think you do a lot of miles walking in a wheelchair, yeah, don't you? Definitely. You know, the amazing thing was that people in our group would fight me to try and take the wheelchair. To take the They'd wheelchair, like, really? We want to push the wheelchair. I, like, I don't even so get the reward to push the wheelchair anymore. <laughs> And that's one of the best things about Hajj, there's a brotherhood. The Definitely, mashallah, yeah, yeah. It is good for the them. people, mashallah, there are people, I'm sure yourself, Usman, so you experience this, that there are people that you remain in contact with all your mm. life just from that one Hajj experience. Yeah, so, so there must be quite a few people from different ethnicities that you've had the pleasure of yeah. learning their experiences and how they made it to Hajj. And, and it sounds yeah. really interesting as you guys are saying, my year, and you're saying, my year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's turned into a camaraderie. It's I'm telling you, you guys no, need to make it your year. That's all I can say. Subhanallah, right. it is yeah. a, a definitely a milestone in your life and going in Hajj yeah, yeah. so it's right, a thing to do so yeah. so okay so one of the questions that I end up having this discussion on physical um, difficulties is what is uh, how can a person be physically capable what is that what does that look like being physically capable can we so you know finally there's no test there's no test of physical capability yeah. you, you mentioned earlier on people that may be heavier um, that struggled to walk, you know, subhanAllah, there were, there were brothers in our group that really, really struggled, um, mm. but nobody could force them onto a bus, they just wanted to walk it. Wow. Um, and they were blistered and they had difficulty, but subhanAllah, you know, for them it was all worth it. Um, there's no physical uh, test that you do, um, your doctor doesn't run a medical, yeah. nothing like that. There's no fitness test. There's no yeah. fitness test at all. Um, test. <laughs> but yeah. mashallah, you know, a brother that just left a few weeks ago with his wife and they were doing the same thing, walking regularly. In fact, he even enrolled his wife into the gym. 
Yeah, that's it. <laughs> just for Hajj, you need yeah, to be yeah. prepared. You ain't gonna slow me down. Yeah, so he signed up to them, but they used to go walking regularly. Yeah. Uh, alhamdulillah, it's a, so there's no physical test. Um, and, but alhamdulillah, physically, mashallah, young and strong as you may be now, trust me, everybody was a little bit so, testing. Yeah. So I'll give you an example. One of the brothers that I, um, um, actually, I didn't know he was there, but then I met him there. Um, young lad, quite strong, physically very good. But he'd had a, just a small injury, just like a, like a scratch on the sole of his foot. And every step he took, you could feel it. Yeah. You know, like yeah. a paper cut? Yeah. And he says, you know, I guarantee this, right? This has been driving me crazy all this way. Every step I've taken, I've felt, I can't, I've put cream on it. I've been to the doctor. I've done this. I've done that. I've done this. I've done that. I'll go back to Bradford. In two weeks, it'll be gone. <laughs> yeah. All right? He says, it, 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 you, you're... Preparation is important, yeah. and if it is so physically can be physically demanding experience. Yeah. So it's good to prepare, but ultimately you're really you're in the hands of Allah. Allah's going to test right? you, and that's what we're. You're going to be tested, right? Yeah. This is the way. And and there were quite a few tests. I remember um, when I went with mum that same year that I went with mum. She actually had, and people were worried that it was a heart attack actually because oh, she no, had a really severe chest pain. This is out there, or in in Mina? We were in wow. Mina. This was the the second day in Mina, and and Mum was in the ladies' tent, and literally I just got a message saying your Mum's not well, um, better hurry over. So went round and very severe chest pain, acute chest pain that she'd had. Um, but Alhamdulillah, you know, this is the name of being from the UK again. Not many others, are, I'd say, from other countries have this. Yeah. But almost every group, there'll be so many doctors there anyway. But almost mm. every group, the travel operator nowadays will have a doctor. They're selling USP now. Yeah. You have to have a, a, a medical support. And mashallah, there was a fantastic doctor who I'm still in contact with now, actually. Made his way over, had all of his equipment, checked mama and said, Alhamdulillah, this, this is, uh, it's okay, it's uh, it's, it's not yeah. that serious. Was, was that from the UK he brought his equipment or did they provide Yeah, so he was the doctor on, uh, on uh, with the group. Oh, with the service. By the group. So there's you know, a doctor with It reminded me of something actually, which is um, you don't really think about, and especially when we talk about taxpayers' money and how it's spent. But the Foreign Office sends a delegation that follows the British Shujaj. They go with them to Mecca, they're in Medina, and they go to Mina as well. And with them, they have diplomats. So there's a leading diplomat. So typically someone like Lord Ahmad or someone like this will be leading it. So if someone's in any kind of difficulty, then he can go and negotiate with the authorities on behalf of the British government, wow. on behalf of the citizens. And they have a medical team with them and they have others with them as well who are there to provide services for the British Muslims who are on their Hajj. So I remember this is the first thing when I was reading the advice. I uh, landed in Mecca and I found out exactly where they were just in case, and then I remember coming home, um, I don't know where I was, but my mother was saying she was not feeling so well, and I says, right, we'll go to the doctor. And we went there to the hike, there where the, the delegation was, and it's like the NHS, it's an NHS doctor. Mm. It's almost like an NHS doctor's office. Yeah. He writes your notes like, oh, this is going to be for your GP back home. Yeah. And he gave her a once-over, gave her some medicine and... Um, you know, a prescription and everything else awesome. yeah. sent her off. And I thought, this, this, I just thought, yeah. what a wonder that yeah. is. Yeah. You don't really imagine, right? But subhanAllah. I mean, compared to the old times, our Hajj sounds so much easier. Trust me, it, it, Allah is just asking you to get on the escalator. It is nothing more mm, than that. Just to yeah. take a little step. The funny thing was, the second time I went to Hajj, um, I was with my wife that time, right? And, and we were all sort of physically, we thought we was all good. Mm. Got there and subhanAllah, um, my first wisdom tooth came out. 
Oh. And it is the most painful oh. experience ever. And you can't do anything about it. It's just, it's, it's just growing, yeah? Um, so my first, and I couldn't eat anything. It was so painful. My whole mouth was swollen up and, and SubhanAllah spoke to the doctor and he just said, listen, you know, there's nothing we can do. <laughs> so I'm not smiling. That was your test. Even, yeah, even if you go physically able, wow. so anything part of the test, you know, the Hajji cough you hear about that, all the Hajjaj have, there's yeah, people the that cough. say, if you don't mm. come back with the Hajji cough, you haven't been to Hajj. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> so expect a little bit. That's tough same to time, shake, man. Yeah, at, the, at the same time, SubhanAllah, you will come across so many people out there elderly, unable, generally, but when they go out there, they're full of life. They'll be doing tawaf yeah. and salah, and subhanAllah, we can't keep up with them. That's amazing. These Malaysian brothers and sisters, right? They're half your size, they knock yeah. you flying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's going on. Zakhar, for your input. So we're looking at the practical issues or physical issues that arise from doing Hajj, especially with a family member. Um, and the physical requirements, and we've realized there's not actual physical requirements if you have sheer determination and motivation, and this is what every gym instructor will tell you, <laughs> you can do the Hajj without, without an issue. We'll be back for the second part, inshallah. Do join us again. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome to Inspire 105.1 FM. We are joined in the studio by lovely brothers and we are having an amazing discussion on Hajj. If you want to take part in this discussion, the number to call, Brother Hassan. I'll let you do the number. I'm not the number guy. <laughs> the number to call is 0158-248-1822. Share some stories with us uh, and uh, enjoy this brilliant discussion. If you want to text in a WhatsApp, it's 0779-481822. So before we went on the break, we were talking about uh, physical challenges. And there are a few of them. But now let's talk about mental challenges that people can face when they're going to Hajj. We've dedicated two shows in, in in another show called A Fair Reflection. We dedicated two shows to mental illnesses. And we know how difficult life can be for people that are stru struggling with a mental illness. So this is obviously a changing environment full of people, full of uncertainties, as we've just mentioned. So a person, say, for instance, anxiety, what kind of challenges would he be facing or she be facing? Um, you know, would so many people come in not knowing where to go, not knowing the language, not knowing the people? And is there steps in place that you brothers know of that can facilitate that? So yeah, absolutely. I think even if you don't experience kabrat, anxiety, or have any history of mental illness, when you see two million people, you're going to have some <laughs> level of anxiety. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah it, so. it is uh, totally normal. Yeah. yeah, it's very, very expected in in that volume of people when you're having to wait. I mean, sometimes three, four hours at, at particular points, and, and as we heard, up to 10 hours as well. So um, that will test even the most patient um, mm. of people. There's no doubt about that. Um, I think it's setting expectations is the key. Um, so we talked about earlier on as well, um, and Brother Osman mentioned that uh, we have expectations. We think that we're going to a place where there's only angels. Yeah. And everybody out there, they're, they're just the best of any creation you're going to meet out there. 
but the funny thing is they're just like us yeah mm. <laughs> and that's that's mm. where hard reality hits home yeah. mm. that they're just as desperate to look after themselves yeah. and their family and their belongings and things like that as well um so we really need to set our expectations if we were to go on a holiday how much preparation would we make everything from sun cream to making sure you've done the checks and you've got your visas and you do that anyway um mm. So for Hajj, of course, be prepared. Be prepared that there will be large volumes of people that time from time to time you will be tested. Um, you may not have uh, the provisions that you expected. Mm. Um, but the expectation when you're paying and many of these four or five star packages, oftentimes I think they, they set a, uh, a bit of a false expectation. Um, we got, we, mashallah, we had fantastic hotels and great provision, but there was still reason to complain for people about, you know, the doors creaking and, and there's no <laughs> toilet roll left. And, you know, things that you just think, finally, yeah. get over it. Yeah. Yeah. First um, world problems. But they could, yeah, yeah, they are truly first world problems. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think, first of all, we need to uh, be real, understand um, some of the challenges that there are in trying to, you know, cajole two, three million people at a time uh, in a single location. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this... The work that, that I used to do in, in the public sector, even they're amazed by the, the logistical planning and handling of the Saudis to be able to manage that volume of people from so many different mm. destinations as well. So without doubt, there, um, there it is going to be a new environment and mm. there are going to be challenges that you experience out there. Mm. Mm. Any recollection, any stories you might no, have heard of? I you mean, you know... Um, I think, you know, the understanding of mental health is improved so much in the last few years, mm. really. Um, I don't know if you recall uh, a recent uh, thing in the news about someone actually committing suicide off the third tier of the of, yes. of, the, of the masjid, yeah. uh, in, of the haram. And it's really a very, real, uh, a very real thing that people deal with. It isn't... Um, you, so it's... it's you want to certainly take it seriously and you know be be mindful um but i think for me the the mental challenges are probably the for, in my own case personally the mental challenges was the was the was the thing yeah. i'm a reasonably kind of subhanallah secure guy but you worry about things mm. and if you're a worrier then you're going to be more worried yeah. right yeah. and um and I think one of the things that really worried me was, you know, will, will Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept my hajj? Mm. This was a thing that I was dwelling on. Uh, that I had two worries, actually. This was f- the first one. And the second one was, maybe Allah will forgive all my sins. But what about all those people in my life that maybe I've, you know, uh, upset or hurt and I never managed to get hold of them. I never managed to find them. I don't know who they all are. You know, what do I do about them? There were two questions that never really would have never even entered my imagination, you know, until I set down this path. And uh, and I got I remember points during the whole Hajj, um, during my Hajj in particular, where you know I really had some anxious times about that. And I guess for me, um, I think I found that. And the way that it's been described to me by others, there's a certain point during your Hajj when something will overtake you, a realization will overtake you, or you know your this uh, the ailment or this illness or whatever it is. And in my case, um, I remember um, being in Mina, and uh, just dispatch sent my mother with the bus to try and get back to Mecca. 
and I had all of my stuff kind of uh, roped up onto a trolley and I was trying to take it and the group that we were walking with my group I got separated from them mm-hmm. and then all my stuff got scattered and I was trying to pick it all up and by the time I got it all together they were gone and uh, that was when like I can't call my mum she's on yeah. a bus right I'm literally I can't see where the rest of my group have gone so that challenges There's no you sign that of them challenges you mentally doesn't it and um and I have to say, I remember feeling um, afraid. Right. I actually had some fear in my heart. Um, but then, subhanAllah, that then followed with a relief. Mm. I don't know if this really makes any sense. But the realization came to me was, you're just being tested. Mm. And that test that you're having, it's absolutely inside your capacity to deal with it. Mm. So you just choose, are you going to deal with it or not? Mm. Um now I'm I'm Subhanallah Allah's blessed me with a personality that maybe I can say those things to myself. Mm. Other people maybe are not like that. Mm-hmm. It's a very different experience for them. Mm. But I think that was the certainly for me that was the challenge. Yeah. Um, and you know those are the there's a I was in I was in Mecca and Medina for five weeks, mm. right? I was and. It wasn't a luxury package, by the way. My, my, there were rats in my hotel. <laughs> I can tell you some tales, right? Yeah. Subhanallah, but. Um, but uh, the things I really remember was, well, you know, some points like that. Okay. It no. is it is a test, yeah. and it will challenge you. Thank you. Yeah. And I think it is about having a serious conversation with yourself and identifying within yourself if you have the capability mentally to be yeah. able to do something like that. Like if you're claustrophobic, let's say you have a fear of a spider, or, or whatever it might be, you're fear of people coming close to you and stuff. Going to Hajj is like being in a room full of spiders. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's really you're right. It, no, I, I wouldn't really quite put it like that. I think, look, it's a it's a spiritual journey, and while my dear brother's right in the sense that you know if you have the means, especially from the UK, you can mm. you can go on Hajj, but really you know there are plenty of people who'd have loved to go on Hajj this year and haven't made it mm. because you're called. It is really Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is calling you. And if you you know if you realize this is the case, then you think okay, there's something we could do, right? Because we were mentioning before, like for example, with things like heart attacks or any kind of physical illness, mm-hmm. you can see the what's causing the problem and fix it straight away. And obviously, we me and Omar were discussing in the last two weeks of the show about mental health. Yeah. It's a lot longer to fix. The problem is a lot deeper than it, it seems to it be. It can be. And so, for something like Hajj, it's something that you really need to. Yeah, yeah I think, I think this I think is how I'm thing, thinking about it anyway. I think the key thing is have good support around you. Yeah. I was going to say that one that right? was, is you that know? we're talking about physical uh, difficulties and we said that there's support for that mm-hmm. and of course it's harder to it's easier to support physically but in the same way if you know of your condition go with a group where you can make them get the support you, you can need, tell yeah. them of the condition that you might be suffering with and, and, yeah. and so they would know beforehand and they can mm. try and accommodate and they'll take care of you and there's yeah. things you can do right the first yeah. thing I landed in Mecca I bought two phones one for me, one for my mom. Yeah. And we got our numbers. The only number in it was her number, and the only number she had was my number. Yeah. And we kept them charged up, and we never were apart. And mm, it's perfect. You know, and that it, type yeah. of thing. You and know? maybe speak to people of similar problems that have gone and done the yeah. hatch, mm-hmm. and then you can ask for them, you know, the wisdoms behind what problem. Yeah. You know. that there's no, for me, there's no nothing to stop anyone who Allah calls for hajj to mm-hmm. do it. Right. You know, nothing like that. I Absolutely. think every challenge that you might face... You have a way to to cope with it and to manage it the and to help you get through it, inshallah. The one takeaway that I've taken away from this um, show is that there is no such thing as an easy hajj in the sense of that there'll be no challenges. 
There's mm. always going to be a challenge, whether that's physical, whether that's mental, whether that's financial. There's always going to be some sort of yeah. challenge, and it's how we work on that. Let's move on to the second part of our show, which is to do with the day of Arafat and making dua and its importance and significance, brother Adolfo. Jazakallah. Um, and I think that there's a nice transition here as well. Um, so just a final point on the mental health one. So if somebody does have a mental health condition, absolutely seek medical advice. Mm. Um, just as you would if you had a physical condition that you're aware about. Um, preparation is the key. With any of these things, you know, there are triggers that will cause um, distress. There are, are triggers that, that can cause anxiety. And um, it's really about being prepared as well as possible. And when it comes to Arafat, there's no difference. Mm. There's no difference at all because... W- for us who are sat here listening to the radio today and haven't had the opportunity to go to Hajj this year, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala still provides for us an opportunity to get an immense reward right. while we're sitting here. Right. Um, subhanallah, there's, there's, uh, there, there's so much benefit and, and specifically I want to focus on the day of Arafah. So these days, we know that these days are the best days in the whole year. Mm. Today itself, as I mentioned earlier on, is the best Jumu'ah in the whole year. Even better than a Jum'ah that landed in Ramadan. The scholars are in agreement that the days of Dhul Hijjah are better than the days of Ramadan Mm. in reward. The nights of Ramadan are better than the nights of Dhul Hijjah. So, subhanAllah, we're sat today on a day, you know, we've got an opportunity before Maghrib today Mm. um, to, alhamdulillah, really take benefit from the best Jum'ah in the whole year. And the best of those days is the day of Arafah, which is um, the ninth of Dhul Hijjah, <laughs> the day just before the, the rites of Hajj, uh, in our case it would be Eid um, <laughs> out here, um, that would take place. So that day is a day, subhanAllah, that's absolutely unparalleled. And what day does that land on for us? Let's not go there, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it lands on the ninth of Dhul Hijjah. Okay? <laughs> and the reason I mention that is because, you know, fair enough, we understand that people, um, based on local sightings, yeah. may have a different day for that's the right. ninth of Dhul Hijjah. And in the UK, we're aware that it's, it could but be if Monday. someone's trying to capture that day, what's your advice to them? How do they capture that day? So, and that's the key, is making the most of the day. And rather than debating exactly when it is, you know, yeah. subhanAllah. Like Check with your local masjid. Yeah, absolutely. Whatever your local absolutely. masjid tells you, use that day. Okay. Yeah. Whoever, wherever you pray, wherever your your community is with, that's the that's the best advice. Absolutely, so, absolutely. So in terms of how to make the most of that day, so we know that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he recommended fasting on the day <coughs> of Arafah for anybody who's not there, not those people that are on Hajj themselves, but anybody who's not there, then our equivalent would be to fast on the day of Arafah, and the reward for fasting is the equivalent of the year past and the year ahead. Two years of fasting. So I was actually thinking about it early on today. If, you know, uh, I've just recently taken somebody on in my team and he went to take a day off on leave. Um, so I said, not a problem. You know, just put in a holiday request and that's covered. Yeah? Mm. So he'll get covered. If you were to work bank holiday Monday, we've got August bank holiday Monday. A lot of people may be working double, triple time. Mm. Um, they'll get paid on that particular day. But imagine if I said to you, you know what? For two whole years, you don't need to come back to work. Yeah? <laughs> just work on this one day. <laughs> work on the, on the 9th of Dhul Hijjah You just work that day And for two years You're taken care of my friend You don't even need to work Because you get your salary On that one day 
Subhanallah, who of us would miss that opportunity Absolutely. to just turn up to work? And Allah isn't asking for much, He just says, fast on that particular day, the Prophet ﷺ told us, and that's the equivalent of two whole years of reward. Subhan. But there's, a, absolute, there's a, a really beautiful quote, because some people may not physically be able to fast or may be unwell, so it's, it's not fart, but very, very highly recommended. But um, as I was looking around and, ju- and just researching, there's some beautiful words by one of our classical scholars, Imam, Rab- uh, Imam Rajab al-Hanbali, very famous, rahimahullah scholar mm. who said something absolutely amazing related to this day and and I'm gonna quote it he said whoever's not able to stop at Arafah then stop at the limits Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has set whoever is not able to spend a night at Muzdalifah after the night of uh, after the day of Arafah if you can't spend the night at Muzdalifah then let him spend the night in obedience to Allah to come close and to attain nearness to him whoever isn't able to slaughter at Mina, then let him slaughter his desires so that he can reach his objective. And whoever is not able to reach the Kaaba, the house of Allah, because it's too far, then proceed towards the Lord of the Kaaba. For he's closer to him than his own jugular vein. Mashallah. SubhanAllah, it, it brings things into perspective because mm. Hajj is absolutely an opportunity, but Allah is always listening. Mm. And the beauty about the day of Arafah, what it reminds us of is on that day, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives more people than any other day of the whole year. And what he actually does, Allah is described in the ahadith that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls all the angels. And he's boasting to the angels and he's saying, look, Umar has come. He's come to me on this day. He's raised his hands on these days. Usman has raised his hands on these days. This is an opportunity to boast to the angels. Why? Because remember when we were first created, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created Adam alayhi salam and he said to the angels, I'm going to create this new creation and place them upon the earth. What did they say? Cause destruction. They're going to cause destruction. They're going to cause facade upon the earth. They're going to cause just trials and difficulties. And subhanAllah, definitely we see them in the earth being wrought by, by the hands of many. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, I know what you don't know. And this day, the day of Arafah, is when Allah calls the angels and says, Remember? <laughs> Remember when I told you about this creation? Look at what they're doing. That on this day they've turned back to me. If you're at Arafah, or if you're not, if you're fasting on this day, if you're not fasting on this day, if you raise your hands to Allah, He is most happy to see us turning back to Him on that day. What I find really interesting is the comparison between the last 10 nights of Ramadan and the 10 days of Dhul Hijjah, hmm. and how Allah has actually kept the Laylatul Qadr a secret. So we don't know, so we stay up uh, every odd night trying to find it. But Allah has actually told us out of the 10 days of the Hijjah that this is these 10 the days. Day. Yeah. That's, That's right. amazing. Blessing. It is amazing. And subhanAllah, oftentimes, so we know that the significance of uh, the nights of uh, Ramadan, those last nights, was because of the revelation of the Quran. So I remember someone asked this a while ago and said, so what's made these days so special? Mm. I'm not going to Hajj, so why are these days specifically special for me? And the amazing thing is that in these days, this is the only time in the whole year where you can do all of the, the deeds that Allah loves most, you can do them all in these days. You can't do a Hajj in Ramadan, much as we'd love to. <laughs> you can do your Umrah in Ramadan, but you can't do a Hajj. Mm. You can't be fasting and doing your Salah and your Hajj and your Tawaf, except in these days. That in these days, everything that Allah loves, 
we could be consuming ourselves with. Those are the things that subhanAllah, if we dedicate ourselves, and really, Hajj is very symbolic. You know, Hajj, everything that you do in it is a reminder. Mm-hmm. You're putting on your shroud, what you're going to be buried in. You're doing tawaf. I remember doing tawaf. I'm sure uh, you experienced it as well, Brother Husman, that tawaf is, is there. And I remember when I was doing it, I was just thinking, subhanAllah, and for the first time in my life, really, I've started just focusing on what the center of my life is. And mm-hmm. for these moments, the center of my life is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Subhanallah. He's at the center of this rotation. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen when I go back? Mm-hmm. And again, the center of my life becomes something else. It mm-hmm. becomes Insta, WhatsApp, you know, it becomes a car, it becomes a person perhaps. That really, you know, I mean, is a question for all of us to ask that on this day of Arafat, the day that Allah forgives ransoms more people from Jahannam than mm. on this day, what are we going to be doing? You know, what's going to be the center of our day and what's the center of our life? Really? Just yeah. a question on that for some of the viewers who are listening, or sorry, sorry, the listeners that are listening. Viewers as well, right? Viewers as well. Oh, yeah, that's right. Live, yeah, viewers yeah. are watching. So for those that don't actually know, like, what is the actual significance of Arafat? Why is there so much reward on this day? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala specifically, so Arafah has a lot of significance, many, many significances. One of them is the fact that the scholars say that Arafah is the plane upon which we will be resurrected. Mm-hmm. That uh, There's many actually, some of the scholars explain that when uh, Adam and Hawa were sent upon this earth, they were sent to Arafah. The Kaaba originally was built by the hand of Adam السلام, and rebuilt when Ibrahim السلام, came. So all of these things point to the significance of that location physically. But then also Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has called all of creation and everyone responds, Labbaik. Labbaik, to you we are turning. You know, subhanAllah, we're giving ourselves to you, Ya Allah, on that day. So whether you're physically there or not, the whole intent is that we're turning back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the meaning of tawbah itself is to turn, to mm. literally to turn. Um, and for us, you know, what's significant? The most significant day, and when we talk about Eid later on, we'll, we'll talk about that as well. The most significant day in our whole lives will be the day that we turn back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Subhanallah. Arafat is nice. You know, for the whole thing, the whole, it almost felt like turmoil leading up to the day of Arafah. Right. And then you finally get there and then you you have a space allocated with your group. And then you just told, right, you're here now. That's it. You're here till Maghrib time. And then before we move on to the next place. And um, uh, it's really, it's really something else. It's hard to describe, mm. but it's very special. It's very special. Because ultimately, I think this is the—it's the pinnacle. It's what everything's been building up to. Yeah. All the effort, all the pain, all the whatever you've been through—it's been building up to being uh, in that at that time in that place. Yeah. You know, it's been said, uh, "What is the best of deeds?" And, and a wise man has said, "You know, the best of deeds is time and place. Yeah. At the right time, be in the right place to do the right thing." And I think this really, for me, was Arafah yeah. uh, to be there, and. Um, yeah, it was, it was like an oasis in the storm for a while, subhanAllah. Mm. Because everyone is there. Every, all the hujaj, everyone who's doing their hajj is there. On that same day. On that on day. Same time. So you might say, well, there's a million in Mecca and in Medina. There's two in uh, there's Mecca. There's people here. There's people there. But for your hajj to be complete, you have to be in that place at that time. Mm. And then you get an opportunity to really see 
you yeah. know, just how it, it's humanity. I mean, yeah. I can't really describe it anymore. Absolutely. And, and Arafat, the day of Arafat and attending that, is that that's one of the prerequisites of uh, not one of the prerequisites. That is Hajj. The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, "Hajju Arafa." That Hajj, the whole of Hajj is just Arafah. In, yeah. in fact, all of the other rites, you know, the Tawaf and doing the Umrah, Mina, Muzal, if you did none of them but you did Arafah, you know, if you miss the Arafah, then your Hajj is not accepted. You're not Khalas, accepted there's yes. no Hajj. In fact, they'd say even if somebody is sick, if they're unwell, even if they're at the hospital, they'll take him on a stretcher just through a yeah. point that they can just, in so the ambulance, the go through the plane of Arafah so that their Hajj can be accepted. And so the reciprocal as well, so if you kind of don't get the opportunity to do all that other stuff, but Arafah. Absolutely, Hajj or Arafah. Now, of course, there are other fard of Hajj as well, and there's other sunan of Hajj, but absolutely the pinnacle, the whole intent. Is Arafah? Yeah. It's the, the whole Arafah. point, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. If you go on Hajj and don't get to Arafah, then what you didn't? What were you doing? You know, yeah. Yeah. So you, you know, and that's Arafah, what you're being called to. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose really the question for all of us to be thinking about is how are we going to spend? Because Yom La Arafah, of course, if we're there, Alhamdulillah, fantastic. We're not though, yeah. Mm. But Arafah doesn't escape us. Arafah, we're still going to experience that day, the best day in the whole year, the day that Allah figures more people than any other day still exists. Mm. The day that Allah is going to be boasting to the angels, we're going to see it on the ninth of Zulhijjah. We're going to see that. Yeah. So the question for us is, how do we prepare for it? If I was to say to you, you got one day, just come into this one day, and depending on how you perform this day, I'll treat you two years. What would you do on that day? <laughs> you, wouldn't, you wouldn't stop to have a drink of water, would you? You wouldn't, would you? Probably <laughs> <laughs> clocking all the minutes. SubhanAllah. Absolutely. You know, Ali radiallahu anhu, uh, I think I mentioned this the other time as well, that Ali radiallahu anhu uh, was once stood at the head of a grave. And uh, he was with uh, the companions that were around him and he said, imagine if some of the people, anyone within this grave was to be resurrected today. How do you think they'd spend this day that they had, you know, coming back to this dunya, how would they spend it? And all the Sahaba saying, it's obvious. It's obvious. They'd spend it only remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now they've seen what happens after you pass after you pass the, the, the line of this dunya, they know they, they know what's going on. They'd only spend in Allah, in Allah's way. So he said, they haven't got that opportunity, but you have. You know, if you recognize that's the reality of how you spend this day, then what are you going to do on this day? And I think really for us, the question now is, how are we going to spend Monday or Tuesday, whichever day you want to make Arafah, you know, how are you going to spend that day? So how, how can you spend a day in a way where Allah would love that? And we can maybe discuss, start discussing that next part, but... If you could just give us some bullet points before you get into You tell me, you tell me. Remember, this is the, the this, Hajj is often referred to as the journey of the hearts. Mm -hmm. We were talking on the way down about ritual practice and you mm -hmm. know reconnecting the heart to this. Mm -hmm. In fact, you know, SubhanAllah, I was listening to something the other day. One of the scholars said something beautiful. He said that hearing is not just of the ears. That in Islam, the scholars have defined hearing as you have Sama'a, uh, so you have your hearing of your ears. But then you have a hearing which goes beyond that, which is a hearing of the heart. Where the heart is actually connected, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they hear the command of Allah and they respond, Labbaik, that the heart that does that, sincerely, that ikhlas that comes from the heart, that's subhanAllah a different level of hearing. Mm. Um, and then there's a heart in there's a hearing between that, which is where the mind is connected. You now, how many times have we said Subhanallah, 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 Subhanallah without even thinking? Mm. How many a salah has passed us by and our mind isn't even present, let alone mm. our heart? So mm. definitely, they, they, 
uh, the question that we need to ask, and it's a personal question, which yeah. is why I'm, I'm not going to give you do one, two, and three, although yeah. there are those in the hadith, yeah, yeah. But more importantly, you know, how are you going to connect your heart right. to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala on the day of Arafah? So, inshallah, that will be coming soon in the next few days. So we'll be back for the last part of the show today, inshallah, to discuss the day of Arafah and what we can do and also discuss Eid and how we can celebrate in a way which is more in line with good practice. Join us again. Welcome to Inspire 105.1 FM We are discussing Hajj We have started off with discussing the difficulties uh, That can come in the way of doing Hajj We talked about physical difficulties We've talked about financial difficulties We've talked about mental difficulties Someone struggling with mental illnesses uh, of the sort And if not, if not mental illness, just generally uh, Anxiety and what the 
um, what can happen when you're out there in Hajj and the difficulties you can face. Then we're moving on the discussion forward and we talked about the day of Arafat and its importance and um, we're going to f- carry on that discussion forward before we move on to our last topic which is celebration of Eid. So Arafat, what can we do on this day? Um, what kind of practice? Say someone doesn't know, they want to spend this day uh, you know, connecting with Allah. What kind of techniques what kind of methods what kind of rituals can they follow to try and connect to Allah so I, I turn around like we were saying just before the break mm. um, that there's no day on which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ransoms more people from the fire than on the day of Arafah and interestingly in the hadith he calls the angels and he boasts to them and guess what he says to them mm. he says what do my slaves want and right. that's where the that's where the hadith ends yeah, it, oh. it doesn't continue, by the way. Why do you think that is? Open-ended. You can ask. Left it yeah, open-ended. So now the question is, Brother Hussman said there's no other daylight. So I think there are. I think there are days in our lives. They're the most joyous days of our lives. Yeah, They're the happiest days we can remember. The fondest memory we can remember in our life. And interestingly, um, for many young that, that, that may be growing up and, and probably a practice uh, of many today is, uh, is birthday. <laughs> it's mm. birthday yeah? when you know you're going to get all the gifts and, and the cakes out the moment at which the cake is out you know, I mean, not necessarily advocating birthdays but but the cake's out <laughs> with its candles on there what happens what do they say close your eyes and what make, make a wish. wish make a wish mm. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can fulfill your most amazing wishes yeah? mm. anything you dreamed of you know, subhanAllah, I often tell the brothers that when you go to Hajj, write down your dua. First of all, because you need to be prepared. Yeah, you need to be really prepared. Imagine if you get there and then you get back to the UK and say, SubhanAllah, I need to get married and I forgot to ask about that one. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine, and, and how many of people that we ruin, we look back and say, SubhanAllah, we could have asked anything we wanted. I don't think any brothers are getting that dua. <laughs> <laughs> marriage, yeah, definitely not. But there's so many things uh, that we all need for hmm. ourselves for our families, for our community, for our ummah, for the world today, you know, subhanAllah. So what more than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying, and what do they want? Yeah, what do they want? That's that's the only question. And if we're talking about that missing factor, the missing ingredient being communicated, that connection with Allah, maybe we can actually ask for that on the day of Arafah. Absolutely. You know, there's some funny, funny stories and, and talking about dua. So there's one of the stories that's narrated um, from many many years ago um, that that's often talked about which is about a person from uh, Khurasan yeah, which was sort of lower Russian states mm-hmm. imagine yeah, who went to Hajj and on the day of Arafah so he's made it through all the, the rites he's in his ihram and he's there on the day of Arafah and he looks around him and he realizes he doesn't know what to ask for <laughs> so he's there on the best day of the holy year in the best location of the holy year doing the best deed of the holy year yeah. but he doesn't know what to ask for and trust me if I said to you make dua for whatever you want how long do you think you'd make dua for? even if you tried your best how long do you think you can make it for? maybe about 15-20 minutes yeah. you do well 15-20 minutes yeah, really? but Arafah is a whole day Yeah. so after Zuhr is when yeah, I mean, all the hujjaj have to be there yeah. up until Maghrib time. So imagine between Zohar and Maghrib now, you have three, four hours of time. What are you going to ask for? How are you going to spend that time? Mm. Yeah? Mm. So I this man, subhanAllah, so he's there now, he's run out of his door. He's like, <laughs> now what? Now what do I do? Yeah? yeah. And so they say he looked at the person next to him and all the people around him making, continuing to make dua. And he said, Ya Allah, 
Whatever they're asking for, give me all of it. It's a lesson for us to be prepared, yeah? Because I'm sure if we were to think about it, you know, our dreams and our wishes will never end. Yeah, mm. we always want something more. But the best way to prepare for the day of Arafah is to really think. You know, it's about really reflect. That's what I wanted to ask. Look, a lot of us, we pay attention to dua a lot, and, it, and it, it's, it's we should do. But in terms of reflecting and actually thinking about things, because you were mentioning the point about the spear, and I think for me personally, just thinking about it, it's like a segue into reflection. Why are you glorifying Allah? For what reasons do you have to glorify Allah? You don't know that unless you think behind and put some actual thought into what is amazing about Allah. Why is it giving us all these things for? What's the purpose behind my creation? And all these d- different types of questions. Absolutely, absolutely. And how much reward should thinking get? Because you don't, no, not a lot of us, like the average person doesn't think and say, hmm, I'm going to get a reward for reflecting. What, what does reflecting actually do for me? And they think of it as a pointless exercise, but it's such a character building exercise. There's so much personal development that can come from critically thinking, not just necessarily about religion, but yourself and your own character. <coughs> absolutely, absolutely. And this is really what distinguished the Sahaba from us, isn't it? They were a people that when they heard an ayah, they would spend their time really reflecting on it. And we were talking, uh, I think it was last Jum'ah, we mentioned this example of very famous Sahabi, um, very famous, Amr ibn al-As. Um, we mentioned that in Egypt, the, the biggest masjid in Egypt is Masjid Amr ibn al-As. It's the, the masjid that he went and established when he arrived in Egypt as Islam was spreading. Um, very, very famous. But he wasn't a Muslim all of his life. Mm. In fact, he, like Khalid bin Walid radiallahu anhu, was one of the ones that fought against the Prophet for the majority of his life. Do you remember last week I mentioned mm. it? I mm. said, when do you think he, took, he became a Muslim? Yeah. Do you remember what it was? Four years before. The Prophet has been preaching now for 26 years. Mm. He's been a prophet and he's been calling. For 26 years, the heads of those that were fighting against the Muslims were Amr ibn al-As, Khalid bin Walid, and some of the other Quraysh leaders. Yeah? 26 years or 16 years? Uh, 16 years, yeah, 16, yeah, 16 years. Right. So, um, so really interesting, he's been fighting for the large majority of his life. And in four years before the Prophet وسلم, passes away, mm. he goes to Medina. Yeah, he's on the way, he meets Khalid radiallahu anhu, and they both say to each other, what's going on? MashaAllah, I think we've got a much more esteemed guest, MashaAllah, that's joining us directly from mm-hmm. Alhamdulillah Hajj. So As- MashaAllah, do we have a... as alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. How are you doing there, brother? Can you hear me? Yes, we can Alhamdulillah, hear you. Alhamdulillah, doing good. You are, we've been discussing for the last hour and a half about the blessings of Hajj and Mashallah, you are living it. How, how are you feeling? Describe the scene there. Well, at the moment, we've just arrived in Mecca, so uh, it's taken us around seven hours to actually get here from Medina. So we've just got into Mecca now and uh, we'll be looking to go to do our Umrah in about a couple of hours. So yeah, I think Medina was the initial part. We were there for four days. Right. So yeah, it's all blessings here really. SubhanAllah. Sheikh Zahir, how are you? You okay? This is Abdul Ghafoor here. So from the preparation and, and mashallah all of the anticipation and hope that you all have from the Hujjaj mashallah that are out there What are the, the gems, what are the, um, the lessons you could share with us uh, since you landed, spent your time in the city of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam I think one thing uh, is you can't actually prepare for this 
especially during the Hajj season. That's one lesson I've learned. So initially, uh, just around the flights, it took us around two days to get here. So we left Sunday night, 10 o'clock. We arrived on Tuesday daytime. So wow. it's not what you actually expect uh, because there were cancellations in terms of flight. And then uh, it was test after test, uh, as I could, uh, can put it at this moment. Hmm. And what's going through your mind when you're tested like that, when you, perhaps you're uh, tired, hungry? You just have to be patient, I suppose. Uh, you know, just uh, you just need to get on with it uh, because you know you're here for a purpose, and you're here to fulfil that purpose, and that is the end goal uh, for everyone. And brother, if you don't mind me asking, is it yourself alone, or have you got family with you? That's that's joining you for Hajj. Uh, it's just me and another brother, Shakil, uh, with me. He's from Luton as well. Yeah, we can we can hear the be in the background. The scene is definitely set. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, we're just getting close to uh, the Harab now, so yeah. Awesome. We won't keep you much more, but we're talking about the, the topic of Arafah. And mashallah, I'm sure you guys, if anything, alhamdulillah, you're looking forward to that day. What advice would you have yeah. in terms of preparation for Arafah for us that are out here? I think in terms of preparation, Yomul uh, Arafah, make sure you do your list, the wire list. Uh, make sure you know what you're going to do on that specific day uh, because it's a really long time and if you go there and you don't have nothing prepared then obviously you'll end up wasting a lot of time so prepare your dua list know exactly what you want to ask know exactly you know what you've been doing the past previous 20 30 years of your life what you want to improve on what you want forgiveness for etc so it's all about preparation, really. MashaAllah. So make sure at the top of that du'a is pro. You put my name on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the Tariq was pointing to himself saying, me too. <laughs> Although he reminded me. Yeah. But please keep us in your du'a. Uh, MashaAllah. It sounds alhamdulillah. Definitely. Truly mubarak. Um, yeah. Alhamdulillah. We look forward yeah. to your Let's stories. Let's give this salam to all the brothers. Wa alaikum Really appreciate your time, MashaAllah. So that was the brother, he joined us from Hajj, mashallah. Uh, you, can, you can hear the excitement in the background, you can hear the buzz in the background, couldn't you? I've actually never been, Alhamdulillah, Allah has uh, it's given me the honor of traveling quite a lot, but unfortunately, the one place I haven't been to yet, as I said the story, I was so close, <laughs> I was 30 miles away from it. But I've never had the honor of going to to Makkah or Medina. SubhanAllah. And I can only just the stories, you know, they get you so excited. And SubhanAllah, if we, if we go back to the story of Amr ibn al-As, imagine mm. him though. Yeah. Imagine knowing that the truest person in the world, you know, the, the most righteous, the most amin, the most trustworthy, the person you've been fighting all your life, you've capitulated, you've given in, your heart now is one. You know, SubhanAllah, that there's no greater truth than this man being the Prophet of Allah SubhanAllah yeah? so he leaves Mecca it's a hard he goes, thing to imagine it's a hard he, goes thing the other, he goes the other way he goes from Mecca and he goes to Medina mm. and when he arrives at Medina he's uh, obviously all of the Medinans the Muslims of Medina they're worried the two biggest warriors of their time mm. Khalid and Amr they've come they set themselves upon Medina after all these years so they're really worried but the Prophet says no let them come mm. they've come in peace this time so they arrive 
to the dwelling of the Prophet and both Khalid and Umar ibn al-As come with this intention. Now their hearts have been won over. They've accepted now that only this, that this is the only truth. And so um, Khalid radiallahu anhu puts his hand out to give bay'ah, to accept Islam at the hands of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And he says his shahada and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam very happily accepts um, his confirmation of Islam. And then Umar ibn al-As waits yeah so after khal is finished then the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam is waiting for his hand as well and amr he reaches over but before he connects his hand to the hand of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he hesitates and then he pulls back and the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam is thinking what's going on here and amr says my heart is there i really want to give in but on one condition <laughs> And so the Prophet ﷺ thinking, listen, you've been fighting me all these years. Yeah? <laughs> you left from Mecca to come to Medina and you want to put conditions down? <laughs> What's going on here? So the Prophet ﷺ entertains him and says, and what is that, Amr? And he says, I've committed too many sins in my life. I plan to kill you more times than I can count. I've been in the battlefield, allowed to kill you. I want a promise that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive me. Because I think this is unforgivable. And the Prophet says in beautiful words, he says, Umar, don't you know that Islam wipes out what came before it? Mm. And Hijrah <coughs> wipes out what came before it? And Hajj wipes out what came before it? SubhanAllah. So for us, you know, the most amazing thing that one of our famous scholars, Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak, he said that on the day of Arafah, he met one of the very pious, very righteous um, people of his time, very famous faqih called Sufyan ibn Uyayna. So Abdullah ibn Mubarak was there and he sees Sufyan on his knees with his hands to the heavens. His eyes are filled with tears, crying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he says, amongst all of the people that are here, Ya Sufyan, amongst all of them, who's in the worst state? And Sufyan says, the worst state is the one who thinks that Allah won't forgive him. Don't despair of the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this isn't mm. a practice of getting Hisnul Muslim and all of those books of du'a that you've got that you don't understand, but just reading them, Rata style. <laughs> I mean, mashallah, of course there's reward in that, yeah. no doubt. But this is a time Allah listens to the hearts. Allah listens to, you know, your deepest desire. We talked about those stages. The first stage is just hearing. You've heard the adhan, you've heard Allah's told you about hajj, you heard this radio program. The next stage of hearing is reflection, like we were saying. That's what Amr was going through, he's mm-hmm. Amr's mind. He's thinking, you know what, I'm going to accept this thing, but will I ever be forgiven? I've done too much. Mm-hmm. The third part is the heart, that the heart itself is open, you know, desperate. When you turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in sincere desperation, say, Ya Allah, there's nothing I can do that is really worthy of my acceptance from you. You know, I've spent a life sinning against you. Ya Allah, in your mercy, subhanAllah, you can forgive whoever you want. Just because of the greatness of this day, Ya Allah, have forgiveness of me. Mm. You know, have forgiveness, you know, give me a portion. Just because of the fact I'm raising my hands with people that hopefully their dua is accepted. Mm. So subhanAllah, you know, there's many things, of course, that are recommended on that day, um, including, as we mentioned, fasting. I mean, to get the reward of two years. The Sahaba, their lips would be moist with the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
But again, when they said Subhanallah, or Allahu Akbar, yeah. or La ilaha illallah, that was with a meaningful reflection mm. that Allah, we've given ourselves to you. It's, it's like saying Alhamdulillah, praises for Allah, but what are you praising Him for? You know, a lot of the times we don't we don't realize. Yeah, reflecting back on the things that you appreciate and that you've gone through in your life and you're grateful for. But going back to that point that you were saying, Abdul Ghafur, I just wanted to quickly point out, right? So the Hujjaj that actually do finish their Hajj it's from the reminder that you're given, is, which is very beneficial, they shouldn't really obsess or ponder over whether Allah should accept their forgiveness or not. You know, one of those years that I was on Hajj, uh, I was sat next to a revert brother. And this is, subhanAllah, where you see ikhlas, you know, you see real sincerity. You meet people, subhanAllah, they just change your whole perspective on life. I'll never forget what he said to me. He was sat next to me, and this was the year I had my wisdom too, I was like, oh, in pain, yeah. <laughs> And we were on a bus here, yeah? and subhanAllah, people complain about the buses, but that's the best time. Increase your zikr, you know, increase your, you're not walking, you're not in difficulty, increase your remembrance of Allah. So anyway, I go talking to him and I said, bro, you know, subhanAllah, who knows? Who knows if we'll be forgiven in these days? And he looked at me, he was like, something wrong with you, bro. I was like, what? <laughs> and he goes, what are you talking about? He goes, I came to this deen knowing that yeah. Allah is true. Knowing that Jannah is true. Allah told me oh, do this action. Why do I have any doubt that He's going to forgive me if I do what He told me to? Exactly. So He's the simplicity of what He said really shook me. Atul Subhanallah, that is so true. So the doubt really comes from your own insecurity of whether or not. But Absolutely, the doubt of us even going to Hajj came from insecurity, didn't it? Yeah. Oh, it's too difficult. It's too hard. In fact, Allah is saying, "What are you but talking about?" For that, it's, you have to make sure that your intentions are pure, of course. Yeah. Inshallah, you know, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala can forgive anyone. You know, sometimes we worry, we look at ourselves and we say we've done too many bad things. None of us fought the Prophet ﷺ, did we though? Mm. None of us, you know, subhanAllah, you know what I mean, used our day and nights plotting against Islam, did we? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? SubhanAllah, there are people, of course, they have done a lot of wrong and we are of them. You know, mm. SubhanAllah, none of us is really worthy mm. of being forgiven. But that's the beauty of it. Allah doesn't say to you, you know what I mean, I expect you to have been pure all your life and there I'm forgiving you. In Absolute. fact, the Prophet wasallam said, none of you will enter Jannah by your deeds. Mm. None of you, because you did something special, Allah is going to say, you did such a good dua Umar, mm. that day, man. Hassan, man, that, that salah you prayed was so good. Allah is going to say, only because of His mercy, He forgives you. And then the Sahaba look in their ikhlas. Mm. They said, what about you, Ya Rasulullah? You, you are protected. You are sinless. Mm. And the Prophet ﷺ said, not even me. Mm. Even me, I require the mercy of Allah for me to be accepted mm. into Allah's mercy. Absolutely. And when we say intention has to be pure, I know like, cause I'm only saying this because I've heard of a lot of people go through this and say this, like they have to stop and literally stand still and physically make the intention, if you get what I mean. Like for mm. the way I think about it is just you want you to thinking about making Hajj and you made your intention. Yeah. For others it's more I need to stand and pray or have to do a specific action to verify that I've made an intention. What are your thoughts around that? Do people have to actually go and do that or is that just a, a difference of opinion on the matter? You know, subhanAllah the, the heart speaks its own language, isn't it? Yeah. You know when when it seems a lot simpler. When the, when the you know subhanAllah when you're in a state of desperation then all you can think about is Allah. You know, subhanAllah, mm. you know, I'm not worthy. I'm in difficulty. You know, subhanAllah, we've had some really traumatic, difficult times over this last few years. But brothers who've lost members of their family, you know, really, really close, young children that they've lost. And in that state of desperation, that's when you know, subhanAllah, nobody can help you apart from Allah. All that Allah wants is for us to recognize that. <laughs> he just wants us to recognize that He's there. Mm. That he's willing to listen and he says, Who wants to be forgiven on this day? 
Just raise mm. your hands and then I will say, you, you know, I mean, regardless of your deeds, you put your hand up, angels look. Mm. It doesn't matter what his state is. Mm. On this day, he's recognized me. So, alhamdulillah, of course, there are many good practices. One and of the other things that I took away from what you, um, the story of Amr ibn As was that the Prophet put, uh, he, so he said, what comes before Hajj is forgiven and also about Hijrah, what comes before mm. Hijrah. As so a Hijrah is obviously a task, that's a massive task. When you actually uproot and leave a place, completely change your lifestyle, completely change where you are, everything about your life changes. And Allah has given that a similar status to that of Hajj. So, I mean, that's a, that's a massive and, blessing. And, and really, you know, sometimes we think Hijrah, again, it's not Hijrah, the physical Hijrah. Of course, you know, subhanAllah, the hijrah of that time has passed us now. Yeah. There's no hijrah after the hijrah of the Prophet sallallahu yeah. But the ulama, they made it easy for us. They said, muhajir, the one who is an immigrant, من هاجر من الخطايا والذنوب That the person who leaves things for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they leave sins for the sake of Allah, that person's muhajir. Mm. So for us, really, all that Allah is saying, are you going to remember me? Are you going to recognize that you depend on me? And are you going to make an intention that, inshallah, I'm going to try change? Because really, subhanAllah, you know, we heard mm. that the the hadith that the one, you know, mashallah, there's no reward for hajj al-mabroor except mm. jannah. Yeah? Mm. You know, we need to be hopeful. You know, why are we lowering our expectation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he can't forgive us? Yeah. Yeah. If even Fir'aun, when he, after everything he's done, and uh, subhanAllah, when the the ocean's crashing down around him even at that time after everything he's done Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you know Jibreel's kicking dust into his mouth so that he doesn't make dua Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says and if he was to ask me I would have forgiven him subhanallah. No, subhanallah. Subhanallah. so who are we you know subhanallah. how much have we done exactly. really more important is you know how many a Arafah are we going to see in our lives mm. before we decide you know subhanallah this is the day how many are Jum'ah? We've still got some time before this Mubarak Jum'ah of the Holy Year passes by. How long does it take us just to say, Ya Allah, forgive me for mm. it? Mm. And the best of those du'a, Ya Allah, forgive all. I heard this beautiful thing that if you say, Allahumma ghfir lil mu'mineen, Allah, forgive all the believers with the intention that all believers throughout all time, since the first Muslim, Allah can forgive all of them for you. Just have that intention. Every believer that's out there, Ya Allah, forgive me for them. SubhanAllah, why is it beyond Allah SWT to forgive you for all of them? SubhanAllah. SubhanAllah Khair has been an amazing show and it's definitely opened my mind to doing Hajj as soon as possible. And for everyone that's listening, make it a priority. Join us again next week, inshallah. Until then, Assalamu alaikum. Did you know that the elevator was invented in 1850?